did this crazy thing where we adopted two girls back in March and had a baby in December. So we ended up with an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a newborn all in the same year, which was just nuts. Can I, can I just say how happy I am that 2014 is over and that now we're on to a new year? Uh, but there's this thing that my two older girls now do. They will play wedding. Have you ever seen little girls play wedding? Okay, this is the typical way it goes if you're not familiar with this. They have all these godforsaken princess dresses, right? Um, that grandparents and all these other people have just unloaded upon my household, uh, which just keeps me awake at night knowing that they're down there, you know, these heathen things. But nonetheless, they, they have these things and they will play in these things constantly. Well, my older daughter, Rose, being the older and brighter one, that she'll want to play wedding. So she'll convince the, the, uh, the five-year-old, Emily, that they should do this. And they both put on their princess dresses, and she convinces Emily, regardless of the fact that she's wearing a princess dress, that she should be the husband, and, she sh- and Rose gets to be the bride. And this is typically how it goes. You know, they'll, they'll stand, and then they'll walk down the aisle, and I'll see them coming, not knowing that they've decided to do this. And then all of a sudden, I'm supposed to act, or my wife is supposed to act as the stand-in officiant, Right? So you got to, you know, do the dum dum da dums and here they come, and they do, do the whole thing, and you have to explain they can't kiss each other, all that good stuff. But this is how it goes. But you know what I've never seen? I've never seen them pretend to do an engagement. It's like what happens is all of a sudden Rose is just like, let's play wedding. And that's the extent of it, right? Let's just, let's just play wedding. There's no, like, formal engagement or proposal you know, nothing leading up to this. It's just how the game happens. You know what I mean? Doesn't that strike you as a little strange, though? I mean, little girls dream about their wedding day, do they not? Guys, I know you're, like, zoned out right now. Don't worry, I'll get to you in a minute. But little girls dream about their wedding day. And that's, that's like they've got it planned out, right? By the time they get to that point, they know exactly what kind of colors. and It's like the whole, the whole bit. Maybe you're not that kind of girl, but I know a lot of girls like this. Uh, my sister-in-law is getting married this next year, and oh man, we've, here comes the cycle again, you know. Um, and it's not going to help my little girls in terms of the wedding thing, because they're like flower girls and, you know, miniature brides, and I don't even know what they do anymore. <laughs> but um, it's been eight years since I had to worry about that. But... Guess whose responsibility it is for the engagement proposal? It's not the girl's typically, right? And if the girl ends up proposing, it's not usually good news for the guy, okay? Like, dude, you're slacking or whatever. Um, I mean, think about it. I have known so many guys where the proposal is just a big flop. I mean, you know, it's like they hide how they got proposed if it's one of those. Like, well, he proposed in the car, okay? Any of you looking to do that? Lame-o. Okay, that's not the way to do it. Other ways that I've seen it happen is like the guy has the ring, right? And he's got it somewhere in his place. And believe it or not, that is typically the extent of planning that goes into many proposals. I got the ring. Crap, now what do I do? This happened to my cousin, actually. They're walking, like... The, uh, he, got, he has the ring and he just, he's waiting to propose and all of a sudden 
she finds the ring. Isn't like that the worst? And so he, she knows he's got it. He knows, she knows he's got it. And he's still not proposing. And it's just like one day they're walking along and he goes, yeah, you know, you got, you know, it just like fumbles out, right? This is not good planning. But this is typically how our society works. It's all about the, the wedding part. And we do very little planning before that. I mean, we start playing wedding almost right away nowadays in our culture. But like proposals and engagements in that time period, I mean, we're such a, you know, get it over with, you know. Propose, you're getting married the next day. Here, here's another example. So my wife and I, when I proposed to my wife, we went up to Wisconsin. It was a cold day. And we went bike riding and um, went up on this kind of like overlook in the... uh, the, the glacial area that's up in Wisconsin, you know that place? Uh, and, uh, no, you don't? Well, anyway, there is, and there's these lakes that have receded. Well, anyway, um, so I, you know, the whole bit I proposed, I got the wrong ring size, but that's okay, she's ecstatic, and um, she didn't want any part to do with p- picking rings out, so she didn't know I was even doing this or whatever. And so we're driving on the way home, and she starts calling everybody, you know, to let them know. And you know what the first question was? So when's the wedding? Like, we've got it planned already? We just got married an hour ago. We just got engaged an hour ago. Now we're already supposed to know when the wedding day is supposed to be. You know, that takes a lot of planning, people. I don't know how this works, but it's like every, it was like over and over again. So when you, when's the wedding? We don't know. We let us just enjoy this, right? That's just how we think, isn't it? The Old Testament does this thing that just boggles our minds, We're working our way through the Old Testament, and the Old Testament describes this thing called the day of the Lord. If you ever read the Old Testament and you come across this phrase, the day of the Lord, and it's typically all caps L-O-R-D, and that's the day of Yahweh. That's Yahweh's day. That's God's day. But if you've ever done this, you'll read through it, and it'll talk about this day in all kinds of unique Ways. It's almost like this day, like day is singular, right? Yeah, even in the Hebrew, okay? But what happens is it will describe this day as if there's multiple different things or like how can all of this fit in one day? Here's what happens a lot of times in the Old Testament. One prophet, this especially happens in the prophets, one prophet will describe the day of the Lord and it will look a lot like the first time Jesus came, right? 2,000 years ago. But then another prophet, or the same prophet, thank you, Isaiah, will later on describe the day, and it's like Jesus' second coming. But they call it the same day. Now, I don't know about you, but days don't work that way for me. The day is, it happens on the same day. If you say the day of the Lord, this happens, and the day of the Lord, that happens. Well, guess what? There are lots of days of the Lord, I guess. But it's the same thing. And in the prophet's minds and in God's minds, they all do the same thing. Here's why this happens. Because in God's mind, the day of the Lord, Jesus' first and second comings for our illustration, are like an engagement and then a marriage. They're 
doing the, they're, they're motivated by the same thing, right? Jesus' first coming was a proposal, and I'm going to walk you through that this morning. But his second coming, which we are still waiting on, is the consummation of the marriage, all right? And we're going to look at how these things work. Specifically, if you are interested in Old Testament references to this, I would point you to Isaiah. I didn't put the slides on the screen for time's sake, but uh, Isaiah 61 and 62. Let me just read you a few verses from Isaiah 61 and 62 to wet your whistle for how this works. Okay, so Isaiah is describing the day of the Lord, although you won't hear it in here because it happens prior to all of this illustration that he uses. So Isaiah 61 uh, verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Now, some commentators will say what you have to picture here is a woman dressed for a funeral and all of a sudden God coming to her and go, no, 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 this is the wedding day. Isn't that weird? As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now, the first thing you're going, I've never seen a groom wear a headdress like a priest, right? Maybe in Jewish weddings, but not in our versions. So what you have is the God saying to Israel these words, I am going to put you in a wedding gown. I'm going to put a veil on you, and you're going to get hitched to me. That's what God's saying here. Listen again later on in uh, Isaiah 62, verse 4 and 5. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. That's what your land will be called, married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The Old Testament speaks of God as a groom and us, y'alls, me, as a bride. Now, regardless of gender, okay, you got to think... Israel, you got to think the church, you got to think that, okay? This is, how, this is how it's pictured. But then you get to Jesus, right? And notice, we can be confused reading through the Old Testament, can we not? Man, which day is it this time? It's the same day, but darn it, it's not happening on the same day. How does that work? Do you notice that the people in the New Testament are just as confused as we are about this? Like, they think the Messiah comes once, Right? When the Messiah comes, it's done. Well, no, that's just the engagement. You got, a, you got this period of time before the marriage happens. And I'm going to explain how this, this world, this, this metaphor works. And you're gonna have to, I'm going to have to walk you through a few things to do this. But in order to do this, I need you to uh, understand this, this phrase that has come to embody a lot of illustrations that I use. Okay? First off, I'm going to make some very broad generalizations about wedding traditions in first century time when Jesus is around. Generalizations, this is the word I want you to focus in on, are usually wrong, but they're helpful. 
Okay, so now as I, as I give you these things, do not walk away from here going, I know all about first century Jewish wedding. No, you know, no, 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 no. No one knows. I don't care what commentator, I don't care what, archae, I don't care who it is. We can make some educated guesses and there are some generalizations I can give you, but different people will say different things. Okay, I've got that disclaimer out there. I'm going to give you a version of this that will be helpful, I think. First off, this is... Oh, I'm going to say very definitive things, but they're generalizations. Got it? Are, are we, nod your heads like I understand this is not, you know, scripture. This is not... Okay, good. Culture's weird. Um, first off, this is how it would typically go down if a young man and a young woman were going to get married at the time of Jesus, okay? First thing is this. The father of the bride, or the, the young woman entertains offers from eligible suitors' fathers. So you notice how this is a father-father kind of thing, right? The fathers are negotiating. And the bride's father is holding out for the best possible option for his special little girl. Now, what will happen, though, is this. Should a eligible suitor be chosen, there will be a, a dinner arranged, a, a kind of celebratory meal, if you will. And the meal will typically be at one of the two's homes. Again, versions vary. Um, and the, all, everyone will be present. Everyone will know why they're gathered. There's no big surprises here. But what will happen is the hopeful husband-to-be, the hopeful groom will have a glass of wine, and he will come before the woman he's hoping to marry, and he will offer her the glass of wine. Now, this is the pivotal moment, because she has a choice. This isn't, like, forced upon her. I mean, there might be a lot of, like, you better do that, you know, whatever. You better, I don't know, but pretty much this is her choice. If she drinks, she accepts. If she doesn't drink, she doesn't she doesn't accept. I mean, it's like every guy's worst nightmare, right? I remember when my wife proposed, when I proposed to my wife, that's actually how it went. Uh, like I said, you know, the, the whole spiel and you get to the end, like, will you marry me kind of thing. I don't remember how I said it exactly. But it was like, she didn't say anything. But she's like crying and hugging me and kissing me. And I'm like, uh, is that a yes? Because this is kind of weird. I don't know. If this is a no, it's really weird, you know? Um, <laughs> But it's, like, it's kind of like that, you know? You're, is she going to drink or isn't she? Was that, was that a drink or was she teasing me? I don't know. But like there's this, there's this moment where she drinks. Now here's the crazy thing. That's just the proposal. That's just the engagement. Here's what happens now. The groom-to-be goes back home with his father and lives in his father's household. The bride stays in her household. The groom goes home and starts building a room or an addition on his father's house for his bride and him and his soon-to-be, you know, offspring or whatever. Upon the room's completion, he can then go and get his bride. But guess who gets to decide when the room's done? Not him, not the bride, come inspect, oh, this isn't good enough, no, no. It's the groom's father. The groom's father will say, no, 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 that's not good enough. Or he'll say, okay, you're ready. And only upon his word 
does the wedding consummation actually get to take place and all the events unfold, okay? Now remember, broad generalizations, but let's run with it because I've heard other people say it, so we're going to use it. Um, Of course, I've heard other people say other things, but we're going to use this this morning. Okay, so far so good. Now what happens in the New Testament is Jesus uses a lot of wedding illustrations going back to the idea of the Old Testament day of the Lord to describe what he's doing and to describe what he will do when he comes again. Again, everyone's confused about this, right? Because they think this is all supposed to happen at the same time, but not to Jesus. Jesus gets this. You you have the engagement and you have the wedding. I got to go back to my father and then I'll come back, right? Doesn't Jesus say that? We'll, We'll look at that here in a minute, but I want you to look at Matthew 25. I have this on the screen, so hopefully this will be helpful if the clicker's on. Oh, it helps turn it on. All right, so Matthew 25 says this. It says, at that time, this is a parable by Jesus that he's using about the whole way that he works. It's that whole relationship between Jesus or God and, and the bride, okay? This is Matthew 25, and you might know it as the parable of the virgins, the ten virgins, or the ten foolish and the, or the five foolish and the five wise, you know, bridesmaids. Everyone says it differently, but here's, here's the gist of it. It says, at that time, this is Jesus talking, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, okay, so you're going, whoa, this is weird. Okay, first off, there are like girls with lamps. What's that about? And they're not actually the brides. What's that about? Notice how also this is weird because guess who's the missing character in this whole parable? I think this is so amazing of Jesus. It's the bride. The bride never shows up in this parable. It's these 10, you know, 10 dudettes trying to get some free food at the wedding, right? Uh, and they're, they're like, we got our lamps, you know, we're, we're ready, we're ready. Um, and they're waiting for the groom to come because there would be this procession in theory that would then lead up to the celebratory bride and get the bride and then rush her and the groom off to get married. Um, and consummate the marriage and the whole thing. There's a piece that I neglected to mention about how weddings typically, or engagements typically work. See, the groom would go back to build the house, and once the house was built, he would come to get the bride. And every night, because the bride doesn't know when her own wedding day would be. That's just weird to us, right? That's the bride usually takes care of that. Blame me, I'm telling you guys, the bride usually takes care of that. Um, But 
she would light this lamp with oil. That's how lamps worked back then. And she would set it, sit it, set it in her windowsill so that when the groom came, he would know which room's hers. Right? Because otherwise, because if they come at night, whatever, you know. So, and that typically these things would be whole week or weeks affairs. This wasn't just like a one day and it's over thing. They would be celebrating for quite a while, depending on how wealthy especially the family was. So this is how it's going down. Now these, these bridesmaids, or these whatever they are, everyone kind of disagrees on it. Some people will say they're the bride. Some people will say that they're the, you know, the bridesmaids. They're kind of like the, the entourage of the, the woman. They're the, you know, whatever. They're versions of that. Notice what the parable says. It says, watch, be ready, because you don't know the day of the wedding, right? And that's a message for us. Later on, Jesus doesn't just speak of parables, of wedding and consummation in parable form. He also speaks of it in almost a direct way, but we miss it in 21st century sensibilities. And I hinted at it earlier. And this comes from John 14. This is at the Last Supper, okay? In John, the last few chapters of John are all the events that happened at the Last Supper. These words occur at the Last Supper where they're about to take the Passover meal, but Jesus does all these weird things and kind of changes the ceremony as a new covenant in his blood. Remember that? These are the words that Jesus says. He says to the disciples, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. See, what would happen at these celebratory proposal meals is that if the, groom accept, if the bride accepted the groom's drink, he would then give this speech. And the speech would go something like this. I'm going to go back to my father's house, build a room, and I'm going to come back and get you. I've told you that there's plenty of space there. We're going to be good. This is kind of how the speech... Guess what Jesus does here? He gives the proposal speech. I mean, for all intents and purposes... In our minds, you might as well picture Jesus getting down on one knee, opening a black velvet box with a diamond ring in it, and saying, will you marry me to the disciples? See, they would get this. Most of them would have given this speech. And if they hadn't given it, then they, may have, they definitely would have heard others give it or would have hoped that one day they'd be giving it. And Jesus all of a sudden is telling a bunch of dudes, will you marry me? Right? Think about the Last Supper. What else happens? There's a glass of wine. Jesus offers it to them. Drink of it all, you, right? Sometimes I think we miss that the proposal and the marriage and the whole bit is just as excruciatingly painful for Jesus as it is for us. He wants us to say yes. That's the, old, that's the Old Testament picture, too. He gives you the choice. You know, it's like, come on, please, please. I want you. I need you. You know, I have to have you, otherwise my life's not complete. Jesus says these things to us. 
Now, it'd be very easy to kind of just end the picture there, right? But we know that Jesus goes away and he comes back. And our best picture for what that's going to look like happens in Revelation. Revelation actually uses the imagery from Isaiah and uses it as that picture of what will happen when Jesus returns on that final day. And it would be very easy for me to just skip there right now and go, and they lived happily ever after. But there's this problem of Revelation chapter 18 that we have to deal with, and I want to show it to you now. Revelation chapter 18 is a word of caution. I'm going to read this, and I'll explain what's going on. John the one who pins Revelation and is hearing this, says the following. He says, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. If you look at Revelation 18, the her is Babylon in the passage. The her is that beast, beastie figure that you know so well from Revelation. It's code for Rome, which is code for us, for whatever is the most alluring thing in our lives that takes us away from God. I don't know what it is. It's different for everybody. Typically, it's got something to do with the society we live in, it's the things that are most alluring in our lives that we would rather you know, serve as opposed to serving God, whatever those things may be. That's what we're being called. I want you to focus in on the words, come out of her, my people. The Greek here, and this is the fun part, is coitus interruptus. Now, what does this mean? Well, some of you are going, oh man. (laughs) Valentine's Day weekend at Fellowship of Faith. We talked about coitus interruptus. Coitus interruptus is to interrupt sexual intercourse before climax. Basically, to be very... I don't want to be crude, but you pull out right when it feels the best. That's what God says to do. That's what God says to do. He says, I know it feels good. I know it feels great. I know it's counterintuitive. I know you don't want to. But at that very moment, it's the most pivotal moment for you to do it. You gotta, you gotta end it. You gotta cut it out. This relationship you're having with the other woman, it's gotta stop in the spiritual realm as I'm speaking, but of course other realms apply as well. You have to stop it when it feels the best, when it feels, that's it. And it does, doesn't it? All the things that are alluring, all the good things in life, all the things we'd rather be married to many times. Because you know what? We live in a society of instant gratification. God calls us to delayed gratification. God knows that if you delay the gratification, the blessings are better in the end, are they not? It's true. I mean, think about it. I know so many people in my own family, my own friends, who've had children way young. And you look at their lives, and if, you had, if you're one of those people who delayed having children and you got married and you kind of set your life up in a different way, you look at that and go, oh, it could have been so much better. It's not that you don't love them. It's not that the, 
they're not going to have a great life. But you go, hmm, you missed something. You know what I mean? Our society doesn't do this. We, we, live, in a, we live in a world that doesn't understand postponement. We don't understand waiting. But the Bible has a picture of this ache. The Bible has this picture of this longing. That's what engagement is. It's an ache. It's a longing. It's, I just want this to be over. I just can't, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I said, I just want to be married. I'm tired of this distance. I'm tired of this waiting. You know what I mean? And we didn't even, I mean, it was a year exactly, basically. But that's a long time when you're really longing for that. See, God knows that it's worth it. But we don't always understand that. And I want to show you why it's worth it. Because in Revelation 19, we get a picture of what that wedding is going to be like when Jesus comes. Notice how it describes it. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Thank you, John, for explaining that. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. If you read the full passage, you know what it says? You know the story. Even if you don't know the Bible, you know the story. Because it's the story that's given to us all across our society. Guess what? There's a king who comes charging in to Revelation 19 on a white stallion. He's coming to save his bride. He's coming to save his love from the beast. He has to slay the beast to win his bride. Does this sound familiar to you? I mean, this is what Hollywood tries to capture. Go watch Pretty Woman. Watch the end of Pretty Woman. You remember it? Richard Gere out of the, the limo with this crazy operatic music playing. He pretends to be a knight coming to save the princess who's up on the floor, you know, and the whole, the whole bit... You know, it's just very, or, uh, you know, watch, watch anything. You know, watch uh, The Princess Bride. Watch Robin Hood Men in Tights. Watch Frozen. Play Super Mario Brothers, old school. You've got to rescue the princess. You've got to win her. Jesus is doing that. Jesus has to slay the beast to win our heart. And he does it over and over and over again. And he says, that's what it's going to be like. Wait for it. Don't do it. Pull out when it feels the best. Don't give your love to another. That's the message of the day of the Lord. We're stuck right now. We have this ache. We have this longing. It's the same longing that we, you know, our society doesn't really like. We don't like to wait for that day. We want it now. God says, wait for it because it's going to be better. You know, on that night when Jesus was betrayed and he took that meal, you know, he took the bread. 
and he said, this is my body. I'm going sl- to let it be slayed for you. I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. I love you that much. And then he also took that cup. Do you remember that cup where he comes to the bride, the disciples, and he says, take and drink. This is my blood. I'm going to shed it for you. Is that not the best proposal speech you've ever heard in my life? I am willing to lay down my life for you. I am willing to do anything for you. That's not just cliche, because moments later, guess what he would do? But he promises them. He says, I'm going to come back. You know, I'm going, and I'm going to get it ready. And Jesus says, I don't know what that day is, but God the Father knows. Just, you guys know what I'm talking about. You remember having to wait for your dad to say it's okay. I got to do the same thing because I'm getting married to you someday. If you will have me, that's what's happening. That's how the day of the Lord is. It's, the, it, it's Jesus coming. His first, his first appearance, it was the proposal. He came and said, will you be mine? Because I'd love to have you. And he says, okay, now I got to go. But I'm going to come back. And it's going to look like that. You know what I mean? And guys, that's not just for the, the romantic girls in the room. I mean, that, that prince that rides in on the stallions for us too. I mean, this might sound weird, but maybe you do get some of those emotional butterflies in your stomach when the hero rushes in at the end. 